You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, we all know Savage makes some awesome rifles, but did you know they've recently released a new shotgun called the Renegade? Now, there's a lot of awesome things about this shotgun, like its ergonomic, well-balanced design, its patented stock pad that knocks down recoil, and something that these guys are very proud of called their drive gas system, D-R-I-V. And what that stands for is dual regulation inline valve gas system and what this is 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 basically allows the shotgun to shoot three inch magnums or two and three quarter inch cartridges all with the same consistency if you want to find out more about the new shotgun the renegade from savage arms visit savagearms.com slash renegade Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking with a gentleman from a company called Western Mountaineering, and these guys make sleeping bags, they make boot covers, they make insulation layers. These guys are doing a ton of interesting things with Down. They're an American company, and uh, today I'm talking with one of the guys who's been working there a very long time his name is Gary Peterson and Gary kind of walks us through what makes a good insulation layer what makes a good sleeping bag and the reason I wanted to get a sleeping bag company on because that's I think that's a majority of their work uh, that they do is sleeping bags and one of the reasons why I wanted to get them on was because on my last uh, mule deer trip that I went to in South there, uh, South Dakota. We, you know, we hunted from a tent. We had to set up a base camp, and the first night I was fine, but the the second night, the second two nights that we had to sleep outside, I had a little bit of a chill, and I felt that my sleeping bag should have been rated good enough for that for those conditions, right? In the I guess it was the high twenties, uh, low thirties, and I was a little bit cool a little bit chilly to the point where I had to put on my base layers some socks and all these other things to uh to keep me warm throughout the night so I asked uh 
I ask uh, Gary here some questions about what I should be doing. Uh, they talk about their products lines. They talk about um, the different uh, the different types of down that are out there. Whether it's a, you know they talk about synthetics. Uh, they talk about a whole bunch of different things that are interesting to me. I, I know that uh, a lot of us do a lot of research about gear and what we need for. Uh, for a western hunt especially if it's a, a, a backcountry hunt and I think a sleeping bag kind of goes under the radar as far as uh, a product that not only could is a good piece of gear you need a you know the right sleeping bag for the hunt but a product that if you don't have the right sleeping bag you could be in a world of hurt you know especially if there's some big temperature changes I know when I went to Idaho um I didn't necessarily get cold per se, but I did. Uh, I it did snow and it got down to below freezing multiple nights in a row, and I I struggled a little bit as trying to stay warm. And I, I think that uh, it's time. For, honestly, I think it's time for me to step up my sleeping bag game. So enough of me talking. Let's get into this conversation about sleeping bags with Gary Peterson from Western Mountaineering. In three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Gary Peterson. Gary, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? I can't complain, man. Uh, I live in Iowa, and, you know, this whole corona thing is, you know, we're a, we're a lower population state, and it, I mean, it's hit us, and we have guidelines in place but you're out in california right yes I, yeah we are I'm, we're in the silicon valley basically it's a strange place to manufacture sleeping bags but that's where we're at <laughs> you guys uh and uh the company that you guys are with is uh western mountaineering you guys make sleeping bags and uh insulation layers and even some boot uh, foot type coverings and we're going to get into all that but you guys are kind of in, in a lockdown right now aren't you we are the uh, the factory itself is is in uh, is in a uh, um, our normal sleeping bag production is suspended, uh, but we do have people uh, that have industrial machines at their house, and so we do have some people sewing from home, and then we've been making masks for local um, counties and stuff um, recently too. Yeah. So we do have a couple people in here, but they have to be spread out. Uh, far enough apart so we can't have you know a person we don't we can't have them seated in their normal seating you know arrangements because they're too close they would be too close together yeah normally there's about 50 people in here and 40 42 of them are sewing and then a couple of other people are cutting fabrics and blowing down in and stuff and you know yeah hot cutting parts and stuff but so right now we're just kind of at a skeleton crew and they're they're maintaining a, a safe distance apart um and some are sewing masks um uh, for the most part, there's the people that are here are sewing masks. Okay. Well, that's awesome that you guys have been able to jump on that, that wagon, I guess you could say, and, and help provide masks to people who, uh, who need them, I guess are, has that been a big transition for you from sleeping bags to, uh, to face masks or is it just a, a simple training? Yeah, they're super easy compared to sleeping bags. I mean, the average sleeping bag takes, you know, between uh, two hours and eight and a half hours to make. Uh, so that's the amount of labor that goes into it. And these, these masks, I mean, you could do 20 or more an hour. Uh, 
if you get it, you know, if you get into a groove, you know, so yeah, um, totally different and they're not insulated, obviously. Um, some of the ones we've made have had little pockets where they can insert a filter or whatever, but basically we're just doing it at the request to help out local um, agencies and counties and stuff for their workers and things like that. Cool, man. That's awesome. All right. So the reason I, I reached out to, to you guys, Western Mountaineering, is because this past year I went on a South Dakota mule deer hunt and I have a, a decent sleeping bag, but I don't think it's the right sleeping bag for me. I got a little cold and I got, uh, let's see, it was an overnight backcountry mule deer hunt and it was rated for, I want to say like 25 degrees, but it got down to about 25, 20 degrees and I was cold. And so I had to put, mm-hmm. my, I had to put my base layers back on and I was still cold. So I think I am, I started looking around for new, uh, new sleeping bags. And I can remember walking down the aisles of the ATA show and talk or looking at your guys's booth that you guys were at. And mm-hmm. I, I noticed, uh, that company. So I was like, Hey, you know, I see them, they're a sleeping bag company. Why don't I reach out to them and, uh, get somebody on the phone and here we are. So the, the first question I have for you is just a real general question. What mm-hmm. makes a good sleeping bag? Well, um, it depends. I mean, if you're just, you know, if you're looking for a car camping sleeping bag or a backpacking sleeping bag, there are different probably qualities, you know, um, for car camping, if you're not going to be compressing it or having to store it really small, then you could go for comfort and you could actually want a wide bag that's really insulated. But what makes a quality sleeping bag, a sleeping bag that will last a long time is has to do with the construction, the, the fabrics, I think the insulation that it's used. And, um, you know, it's not rocket science or anything. We're not, you know, um, you know, crossbreeding some super seamstress here or anything like that. It's not like we have the, the angle on, on the sewing, uh, skills or anything in San Jose. It's, it's, uh, uh it could be done anywhere in the world, I think, but, but, uh, the, the way that we do it is, is, um, I think a little unique. Uh, we take longer than any other factory, I think, to make a sleeping bag because we, we don't cut corners and things like that, you know, um, we're double stitching everything, hot cutting all the parts. And so I think what separates our bags or what makes our bags um, uh, have a good reputation and, and, and people that want to own more than one of them is that uh, they last a very long time. And, and that's done with, you know, hot cutting the parts. So all the little parts like the collars and things like that, those are all cut with a hot knife. Uh, we, we really, really careful about finding fabrics that are going to be downproof for like 30 to 40 years. Uh, the down that's in the bag will last like 60 years. It's just incredible raw material. You can just, you almost can't kill it. You know, I mean, you could beat it up and I've seen the mangiest downs that I've seen come back The mangiest bags. You can wash them a few times, four or five times and they'll puff back up. So most, uh, you know, uh, most down bags will last a very long time if they're sewn right, you know, and if they're made with good fabrics. So we think that what goes into a good bag is just a good, uh, quality materials and then quality craftsmanship, you know, the sewing and the, and the materials. Okay. So let's talk about those materials, right? And I also want to talk about the process here in a little bit, but mm-hmm. the materials, right? I mean, I could go to Walmart and I could buy a sleeping bag, right? But mm-hmm. 
I know that it's going to be different, you know, just based off price, what I've seen, you guys offer something completely different down versus synthetics and whatnot and fill. Right. But, right. But what are specifically are some of the materials that make a good sleeping bag? So um, you can, the synthetic, if you, if you have synthetic insulation, you could use much uh, cheaper fabric. Um, it doesn't, if it doesn't have to be downproof. But um, there's a lot of things that go into making a, a fabric, um, a downproof fabric uh, that will be downproof for a lot of years. And most of it has to do with the construction and the finishing of the, you know, the weave of the fabric and then the, the, um, how, how tightly woven it is, how balanced it is, uh, what kind of finishing it has. Uh, we we um, uh, are really, really careful about the – I order the fabrics and, and I've been to Japan many times and Korea quite a few times um, where most of our fabrics come from and, and the uh, we're very involved with the development of our fabrics and we push them to make fabric fabrics a certain way so that they'll be downproof for a long time. Um, for instance, you can get a downproofness, you can achieve a downproof fabric um, at like 230 or 240 threads per square inch, but it may not be downproof for a very long time if it's not very balanced, you know? So if it has 200, you know, or 180 in one direction and only, you know, 60 threads in another. And that's pretty common where they'll have a mixed, uh, very skewed uh, construction because it's cheaper to weave if you put a bunch of yarns in the warp direction. And then in the fill, you only, you know, you can run it out faster, weave it faster if you're putting very few yarns in the in the fill direction. So almost all fabrics that are stock are, are not balanced. Uh, you have to pay more to get them balanced and uh they're harder to weave. They cost, you know, they cost quite a bit more. It might be a dollar, even two dollars more a yard to get it uh, with a balanced, fully balanced construction. And the and the balanced construction in the long run equals durability. Yeah, well, we we think it's more downproof for more years that way, and it's also uh, requires less uh, finishing, you know, uh, treatments and things to get it to be downproof. So. All of our fabrics are mostly over 400 threads per square inch, and they're almost all perfectly balanced or, or very close to it. So if it's uh, 450 uh, threads you know, per square inch, it would be like 225 by 225 or pretty close to that. Um, and and um, we think that that makes the fabric more stable. I mean, if you if you pull on it, otherwise, if it's skewed, then you can pull on it with your thumbs and look up through it and it's good in one direction but then you pull it in the other direction you, you rotate it 90 degrees and you pull it and then you get all these cracks of light because it's uh, far less dense in the one direction you know in the fill direction and they do that so that they can weave it faster and pack fewer you know uh, yarns and they still call it downproof of course but it's not we don't think it's gonna be downproof for as long and it's just not as uh, just not as nice of a fabric you know if you look at it with a scope it's just not as nice uh, to have it woven with an imbalanced construction okay so when when uh, we start talking about down, down proof, is that the it's like the down is inside of the casing. Right. And. Right. OK. So so a higher quality casing is going to let uh, less moisture or air into the down, making that down last longer. Um, well, basically, it it. it prevents the down from leaking out of the, out of the, uh, you know, out of the sleeping bag or jacket or chamber, you know? So the more downproof a fabric is, then the less uh, down will come through, even if you super compress it. So 
if you have a sewn through, let's say a down jacket or something, and you stuff it into a really small, you know, sack, and then you compress it even further, you're cranking it down to just, you know, the down's got nowhere to go. So it, it wants to push out of the fabric. And under those circumstances, if it still doesn't leak, uh, then it is very downproof. And, and over years, um, your down might get a little bit oily, might get a little slick, and, and then the clusters are kind of, uh, you know, uh, not as lofty. And, and if you haven't washed it, the down might be a little bit more prone to leak out during, in, during those times. But still, it should hold it in, you know. And we think that uh, the fabric that we buy, we, we expect to be downproof for in the 30 to 40-year range, if not longer, if it's cared for properly. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, not many people who sell a product, whether it is a whatever, a pen all the way to a, a computer, are saying things that, you know, well, hey, man, we expect our products to last 30 years. That's uh, that's crazy. I mean, do you guys get a lot of feedback from customers who have used your bags for that long or since maybe the first one off the uh, off the line all those years ago? Yeah, I mean, we, we do have people that send us back their bags just to get a repair, and it's one of the – we could tell it's from one of the first early, early production runs because of the label. And so, uh, we, we recently traded a guy out for a newer bag because his was like really nice looking and he had logged like a thousand nights on it, uh, trail, trail nights, um, with the bag. And it was one of our early, early bags. So he had had it, you know, 50 years basically. And, uh, we, we, so we traded uh, him out for a, an updated version of the bag. He was happy. We were happy because we wanted it for the vault, you know, but it's, uh, um, yeah, the bags can last a lot longer, even if you, if you, if you care for them properly. So, you know, he was just planning on giving it to his kid or whatever. So we do have a lot of people that say that they last a long time. We've had guides tell us that our bags last in a 10 year range and that's using them over uh, 180, you know, 180 to 200 uh, days in a year, man. Um, uh, that's so that if you extrapolate that over a normal person, that's a lot of years, you know? Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, we have this, this rating, uh, temperature rating, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how does a sleeping bag get a rating for, you know, 45 degrees all the way down to negative 25 degrees or whatever? You, or, well, are you talking about our ratings or the EN ratings? Cause there's a, there's EN ratings, which is the European norm. And a lot of, uh, bag manufacturers are testing their products for that European norm test. That's a specific standard where they use a mannequin uh, and they put, you know, put this mannequin in the sleeping bag. They have these little, you know, electrodes all over the mannequin and they measure, you know, the heat loss over a certain, you know, time frame. Um, and, and uh, you know, that it's it, most, most companies are using that now and, and, and labeling their bags that they sell in Europe and, some uh, some other parts of the world just because it's kind of the standard um, we tried to get a standard here in the u.s a bunch of years ago and never could agree on you know all the little details of the tests so um, the europeans did it uh, first and um, um you know so that's kind of the standard and so you might see en labels on on bags even in the u.s now and if that's what you're talking about that's a specific uh, test procedure but how we how we uh, uh you know, come up with a, a, uh, temperature rating is different from uh, how other companies might come up with temperature ratings on the whole. We think that we tend to be conservative though on our, on our ratings. I mean, we, we do it from experience and how much uh, the baffle height is on a bag, how much down we put in it, 
so we're we're expecting to create a bag that's you know going to be a certain temperature range when we're designing it initially. Okay. And then uh, we 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 design it uh, around you know to 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 meet a certain threshold or a certain temperature rating, and then we go out and test it. We have field testers that we use bags and get back to us and let us know whether we think if they think it's accurate or not. You know. So how does I mean how do you come to that conclusion other than other than testing is it is it a all right well it has this much down in it we've put we've designed the bag to have this much uh fill in it this much down in it and therefore it should reach this temperature it's it's going to be comfortable yeah. in this temperature Yeah I mean uh it's it's hard to say temperature ratings are really um tough because uh, what what one person finds warm, maybe another person won't. Um, and if you roll in the bag, the bag rolls with you, you know. And so there's a bunch of variables with the bag width. And now now lately there's a bunch of variables with also pad, the type of pads you use, because there's a lot of different pad choices now, whereas there used to only be just a closed cell foam or, or, a, or a therm rest, you know. Right. And, and now there's a, just all kinds of different, you know, cross cut, uh, diagonal cut, you know, partially insulated, partially not, you know. Um, there's just a lot more pad choices that will impact your, your how warm you feel when you're sleeping. But uh, by and large, the, um, um, you know, the, the loft is the biggest contributing factor, I think, to, to warmth, uh, irregardless of whether we say it's a zero or we say it's a 10 or another company calls their bag a zero or 10. If you have more loft in the same internal dimensions of the bag, the, the loft, the one with more loft should, should be warmer. Um, basically the more insulation you have further away from your body, uh, will, will be warmer. Um, and that's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty standard you know i mean that's pretty yeah. basically uh that's that's one thing that's hard to um uh it's hard to disprove that you know yeah uh, no matter what you do so you know irregardless of what one company says now you can get you can achieve that that loft by with with uh, by spending more on down and getting you know lighter fabrics and then having it be less weight for you know even though it's achieving you know 10 inches of loft uh, for a 40 below bag but um and, you know, you could have a seven pound bag or, or a four pound, four and a half pound bag, you know, for yeah. that much loft, depending on the materials you use and, and the insulation and stuff. But but by and large, if if the dimensions are the same on two bags and one one of them has more loft, it doesn't really matter what they say. The one with more loft will be warmer um, because, you know, it's just insulating you further away from your body. OK, so let me ask you this. You have two companies and they have the same exact material. How much mm-hmm. does process of, you know, the, the construction process play into making a good sleeping bag? Well, I mean, we think that it has a fair amount to do with it. And the, the way that we sew here is that we only have two people that would ever sew a given sleeping bag. And that's really rare. Uh, if you go to large scale factories, it's not like the sewing skills are any better here than they are in China or something, but but we're only having two people uh, sew a given sleeping bag and one person would do the baffling, meaning that they would sew the netting onto the bag uh, and then join the shells together. And then the other person is the finisher. They put the zipper and all the little parts on the collar and things like that. Normally a sleeping bag, the production would be split up into like, you know, 30 different micro steps and there'd be all these people would be getting paid piece rate at a large scale factory somewhere in Asia, you know? Right. And, 
they're doing contract work. And so they're doing, you know, um, basically they're doing contract work and they move brand by brand. So they might be on a certain brand for a couple of months and then move on to something totally different tents or something else, you know? So we think that the continuity of, you know, subcontracting is, is, uh, is where some of the mistakes happen. It's not that they, the sewing skills are bad, but if they move to different things and they have different sewing, you know, tolerances and this and that and different fabrics that they're not used to and they're trying to shove through 50,000 sleeping bags uh, in 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 a month and a half over 500 you know uh, workers uh, there's mistakes bound to happen you know uh, so and I'm surprised that they're able to do it but they can you know reduce the you know they can make it much more efficiently they can reduce the time that it takes to make stuff uh, by by considerable amounts but it's still at the end of the day, it's kind of like if you're going to build a race car motor, do you want two master mechanics or 40 Jiffy Lube employees, you know, putting your motor together? Yeah. You know, that's the way we think of it. Uh, that makes a lot of it's sense. It's just, yeah, because these, the people that are working for us are just, you know, we train them really carefully. We don't hire too many in a given year and we take a lot of time to train them and they're, they're, they have pride in, in what they do. They're, you know, they're not being paid by the piece rate. They're being paid by the hour and we want them to sew you know, and make everything as if it was for one of your relatives, you know what I mean? So, right. uh, so yeah. And that's how we QC them too. We, we figure if anything's like, um, if it, if it's a product that you wouldn't want for yourself, then, then you need to talk to us because there's something wrong with the product. Like, so everything should be, a, we should be able to walk over to the shelf on any given day and just grab things that we want to bring to a trade show and don't have to check or double check them to see who, who sewed them. They all should be first, first notch you know right all right so how do you how many SKUs do you guys have uh i don't have the it off the top of my head but it's uh you know all together it's it's a couple hundred and the the reason that it that it's so high is I mean, we have maybe 35 models of sleeping bags but then there's left and right zippers and and three different lengths in some of them four different lengths in some in other bags so you know, like the Terralite model, which is is one model that we make. That's kind of a semi-rectangular. It's kind of a barrel-shaped bag, so it gets wider below the shoulders, and, and then it tapers back in. And that bag we make in a five-six, a six-foot, a six-six, and a seven-foot. So, uh, and we make it in left and right zippers for everything up but the seven-foot. So we make a so already there with the one model you've got. Uh, seven skews you know so left and right zipper for the five six a left and right six foot left and right for the six six and then only left in the seven foot okay so you guys are almost a customizable sell a customizable product really uh well we do allow some some customization like like uh but not for color or anything like that. But we, we do allow some, like you can get an overfill in a foot box or you can order it with an overfill, a bag with an overfill, but we don't really do custom work. Yeah. Um, but I, what I'm getting at is I, uh, maybe uh, the the right word is more options or the right, uh, than some, yeah, I somebody. Mean, we, we do. We think we have more options and most of the bags that we make, we make a wider version. Also, it might have a different name being in a different color, but like, a lot of the reason for our uh, our big sleeping bag line is that we have uh, a narrow version and a wide version uh, that mirrors that same you know model, like the Apache and the Badger is a good example, or the Ultralight and Alpenlight. The Alpenlight's a wider version of the Ultralight, you know, which is the Ultralight's our most popular bag. Okay, 
So um, the you mentioned earlier about being able to compress the bag down and you know stuff it in a, a sleeping bag and go. Uh, is that because the materials and the construction of it, and, or is that uh, like my my Coleman sleeping bag that I had with, when I was a kid could never compress down into it that much yeah yeah and and at the same time it it wouldn't keep me near as warm either so is it the down itself that in in the material that allows it to be compressed yeah the the down that we use is just incredible it's um it's really really nice if you look at it with the scope it's just each uh it's almost like a a, if you see a tumbleweed and you know a Blowing, blowing across a field or something. If you look at a, a cl- down cluster, it's kind of like a tumbleweed in that it has a bunch of little little uh, uh, strands. They're, they're, um, they're barbules is what they're called. And it, each one of those has these little tentacles kind of sticking off of it all the way up. And, uh, and there's just uh, bunches of them on one cluster of down. Um, so down is really its, um, it's ability to uh, uh, trap... Um, you know, your body's warm air, uh, and, and prevent it from escaping. You know, basically sleeping bags aren't generating heat. They're just, uh, retaining your body heat. Um, that's what they're designed to do. And the better, um, insulations will retain your body heat better. Uh, they're better at doing it also with the fabrics, you know, that has something to do with retaining body heat too, depending on how breathable they are and things like that. But the insulation is the key factor for making a sleeping bag compress uh, the fabrics also, but mostly the, uh, the insulation. Okay. In regards to retaining warmth, right? Is, is mm-hmm. the down that you guys use special in any way? Um, well, it's really, really, really nice. We buy it as nine, we claim 850 plus is the fill power and the fill power. What that means is, uh, just a cubic inches of loft per one ounce of down. So, uh, the, the higher the number, the, the, um, the, Basically, the more more loft one ounce of, ha- of down would have, and then it, the lighter sh- the fabric that you use. If you imagine putting a a piece, a little square piece of cordura over a pile of down, it's going to obviously weight it down. It's just much heavier than a, than these lighter ten denier and twelve denier and you know twenty denier fabrics that we use. So we use light fabrics, um, but that are still going to last a long time. Uh, we, you know, because of how tightly woven they are and things, and how they're finished. Um, but but the down is really the, an incredible thing. That the stuff that we use, it's not treated or anything. It's just naturally really really nice, and um, it tests out at over 900 uh, sometimes. But we we don't uh, post that because the way that they test the down, we think is a little bit has gotten a little bit out of control. They used to just put it in screen box and let it loft overnight, and now they they uh, you know they put it in this screen box they blow dry it a couple times it gets steamed and tumble dried before that so it's kind of like had a week at the spa by the time it gets this rating and we just think it's a little bit more like it represents the act the the maximum potential fill power under i under laboratory settings rather than the practical or immediate fill power of a, of the down you know so that's right. why we claim 850 okay so you you've got pretty much a sleeping bag for really any scenario, right? Um, you know, obviously there's, there's sleeping bag uses for just about 
any type of travel or backpacking or camping or or hardcore type uh, excursions out there um mm-hmm. i'd like i'd like uh you to recommend a couple sleeping bags for me i'm going to throw out a couple scenarios and i'd like you to th- uh throw out back to me uh what sleeping bag that you guys manufacture that you would recommend mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. so the first one is maybe i'm on an august antelope hunt and I'm going to be camping out of a tent, but it is going to be very hot uh, during the day, maybe upwards in 90s and 70s overnight. What uh, and it's going to be it's going to be, I guess, low, medium to low humidity, if that even makes a difference. Medium to low humidity in, in the what are the nighttime temperatures going to be like seven, like uh, 50s to 70s, 50s to 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, the build of the person. Uh, I, I guess I'll just use me six foot, 220 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'd, I would probably recommend something that's uh, a summer bag, obviously that, that, um, is continuously baffled. Um, there's some, uh, summer bags that are, uh, that are partially sewn through or sewn through, but those have no option of moving the down, but something that is continuously baffled, like a summer light, um, you could also use a, you know, a bag like the Megalite, uh, if you're going for super, super light, then probably the Summer Light, which is a narrower, narrower bag. The Megalite is kind of a wider version of that bag, but either of those would probably work okay. Uh, you could also do something like the the, the Mighty Light, which is, this, you know, a hoodless uh, bag that's uh, continuously baffled. What I mean by continuously baffled is that there's no block of netting at the side opposite the zipper. So you can shift the down in the chambers to to you know accommodate you know and and, and sleep more comfortably at, at a wider range of, of temperatures and climates if you take the bag to somewhere like bali where it's super warm um and 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 more humid you could shift basically most of the down towards the bottom of the bag so it's beneath you between just more padding underneath that you're sleeping on and very little down above you and by the same token if you were to push it to a little bit uh, um colder temperatures on a different trip you can you could still use the same bag just by uh, you know shifting a little more down towards the top and bring a thicker pad Uh, but on those trips you got to make sure to keep the bag in its upright position uh, or else you you know if you the the more you do change the distribution of down the more you have to be mindful of keeping it in its upright position because if you have most of all the down towards the top and then you roll over and bag rolls with you um, you got nothing you know you know once you roll over, yeah. you'll have very little down above you between you and the sky. So it's more critical to keep it in its upright position. But uh, any of those bags, I think, would work fine on a trip like that. Also, maybe a bag like the Caribou would also work okay. But that doesn't have as much adjustability in the, in the down because it's partially sewn through. So the, the um, adjustability in the in I think it's the baffling, right? The adjustability in the baffling to move the down uh, out of the way so you can control the temperature yeah i mean so most people don't make adjustments in their their, their bags because the down bags will go, take you through a broad per, pretty broad range even just without moving the down at all just uh there you can sleep more comfortably in in a broader range without overheating if the if the shell fabrics are breathable and and not too you know treated or coated or anything like that if they're if they're just uh, designed to be downproof by construction and just tightly woven but not uh, sprayed with a lot of stuff or not, you know, heavily, you know, chemical out with DWRs, um, excessively, 
then they'll still be pretty breathable and and you can go through a pretty broad range without you know uh, sweating and and uh, and then without getting cold but um there's still some adjustability with uh you know if you go from two extremes so if you have a bag like the summer light or mega light and you take it to somewhere warm and tropical i mean you most people don't have the means of buying, you know, a second bag for or a third bag for every different kind of trip that they take. So, it most bags uh, since the early '80s or late '70s have been continuously baffled once they're above the zero degree rating from most manufacturers. So, whether it's from us or another down manufacturer, but most down bags, if they're above zero, they're probably continuously baffled, meaning that there's no block of knitting at the side opposite from the zipper that prevents the down from shifting in, in the seventies, early seventies, all bags were side blocked. It was just how everybody did it. They, they made, they sewed off a netting at the side seam, you know, the one opposite from the zipper. And so there was a chamber on top and a chamber on bottom, but that means you'd roast in, in a lot of, uh, um, conditions, uh, you know, because you couldn't adjust it down. The only, the only just variability or adjustment you had was with the zipper. Huh. That's, that's interesting because I didn't even think that I didn't even, I looked at a sleeping bag as a, if you're going to be in a specific temperature range, this is the bag that you need to use. I didn't, I, I never thought that you could move the down out of the way and control the temp, you know, control the, your body heat based off of that. That's, that's unique to me. So I, yeah. I, I learned something there today. Uh, so the more is it the more baffling that it has in the the more consistent it will be as far as or the less the less adjustment the more consistent well um yeah so we we send our bags most of our bags that are continuously baffled we send them out with around 60 percent of down on top and 40 percent on bottom that's how we distribute the down as uh, that's the stock distribution um but you can you can adjust that and you know if you if you for instance thrash around a lot at night and um, and you wanted to even it out so that it was like 50 50 because you know that the bag's gonna be twisted up and and you know flipped upside down half the night and then you can do that you can readjust the down um, when the down is blown into the chambers it's all blown into one side and we have to kind of distribute it out and you can just unzip the bag and open it up to where you're looking at the top inside and the top and the bottom inside of the bag and you can pat a couple of chambers with your hand and push the down and kind of redistribute it after you launder the bag you know you should probably try and check the distribution anyways but most people don't change the distribution of the down in their bags they just kind of go with what it is and it and it, it handles them through a broad enough range to where they don't ever have to make any adjustments but if you find yourself you know sleeping cold one night that's certainly something you should look at maybe uh, if your pad is i mean that's the first thing I check is the pad if, if, if I'm ever sleeping cold and um, you never want to blow into a pad if it's going to drop below freezing because then you're sleeping on a popsicle. It's impossible to stay warm. Okay. You know, because all and your body's thawing out parts of the pad, you know, because yeah. your moist air will freeze once it drops, it gets anywhere close to freezing. And so uh, any kind of a self-inflating pad, if you don't want to wait for it to inflate up and you blow it up, it's fine on most trips but if it drops below freezing you never want to blow it up with your own breath because it'll just be uh you you're constantly rolling over and thawing out new parts of the pad so yeah. if that's not the issue then then uh, i usually just redistribute the down um and and then you know check the layers that you have on too if you for instance 
have a jacket on another down pullover or fleece or something on inside the bag, uh, you might be better to put it outside the bag and over your bag if you can balance it over your bag because the more loft you have further away from your body is going to be uh, keeping you warmer. So you're better off rather than compressing more insulation layers on and piling up a bunch of layers on the inside, you're better off to put them on the outside of your bag if you're, you know, to get warmer through that trip. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Next, the next trip I'm taking is uh, a, a trip. Same, same dude. Same. That's me. Six foot two twenty twenty mm-hmm. ish, and uh, we're gonna go maybe in something a little higher elevation, and it's gonna be colder during the night. Let's say in in the thirties, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it it could get below freezing, but probably gonna stay above freezing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and are you a warm sleeper or a cold sleeper or what? Like for me, uh, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Do you sleep with the windows open usually or, or uh, no, or no, I, yeah. I, I, I sleep with a ceiling fan on. I don't know yeah, if, yeah. if that means anything. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, some people uh, are just inherently like, you know, I wake up and my ears are red, but, you know, my wife just says I'm like a mouse or something when I'm sleeping. I just, uh, I sleep hot. So, yeah. Some people sleep, you know, tend to sleep, uh, you know, average. Some people sleep hot. Some people sleep are always freezing, you know. So that's why I asked. But I think that the, a good bag to look at for, for that temperature range, if you are consistently going to be going on trips at that temperature range, you know, uh, uh, more often than not, it would get close to, you know, below 40, let's say. Um, and occasionally it might get it around freezing, um, but not too much colder. Then I think a bag, something like an, in a 20 degree range would probably be good because you you want to get it a little bit warmer than than uh you know you don't want to push it push the limits i mean i've taken a five degree bag down to 30 and 40 below before but uh it's not something that we recommend for most people you know i mean yeah. you, you got to know how to maximize the, the 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 warmth potential of of all the things that are in your you know uh pack and everything when you do that but um but by and large if somebody's going to be taking a, tr- a trip that in the 30 degree range then Usually I recommend a bag like in the 20 degree range. The Alpen Light, for instance, would be a good model, I think, uh, to go with. Also the Versalite, which is a little bit warmer. It's a 15 degree rate bag, but it's it's um, it'll take you to a little bit colder temperatures. And it's the same weight as the Alpen Light, basically, within one one ounce. Okay. Uh, the Alpen Light's a little bit wider. The Versalite's a little bit warmer, a little bit slightly narrower, but it's a medium girth bag. It's not, it's not uh, super narrow. And it's a great bag, great all-around bag. Okay, let me ask you this question, and and maybe it's maybe it's an easy answer. I don't know. What about uh, elevation, right? If you're if you're camping at zero uh, elevation and it's thirty-two degrees versus ten thousand feet and it's thirty-two degrees, d- does any of that matter except the, just the temperature that you're going to be sleeping in? I mean, it, it can it can have an impact. There's people that will have a harder time um, staying warm when they're high on a mountain um, if they're not used to the elevation being at altitude. Um, and that mostly, I think, has to do with you know the uh, you know your body retaining less. You know, uh, you know if you if you do tests and see what your blood oxygen levels are at, uh, it's different at altitude. 
Uh, and after you stay there at altitude, at a certain altitude for a few days, it kind of gets back to, uh, you know, closer to 100% again. But but when you're when you first like if you're climbing and you are checking your your oxygen saturation level in your blood, it goes it goes uh, down dramatically when you when you go up, you know, uh, fast. For instance, if you go from 3,000 to 7,000 foot in a, in a hike in a day, it'll take a while for your for your oxygen saturation levels to get down. And so it depends on how long you stay at altitude. But but by and large, it can uh, impact your ability to sleep warm. Also, what you eat, you know, when you're at altitude, um, the amount of you know fat content in your diet and stuff. There's a bunch of different things that will impact your uh, and then your metabolism also, you know. So there's a number of factors that will impact it. Altitude is one of them. Um, you know, your your diet is another, and you know your your how fit you are and stuff, and um, all those things can can play a role. Um, so that's why that's probably why we recommend maybe a little bit warmer of a bag than what you uh, think you might see. You know, in the temperatures just, you think just you might in case see. type of scenario. Just in case, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, you know, and, and even and even though even if you go with a warmer bag, then still you could get cold if you're not mindful about, um, you know, about the pad choice, or if you're not mindful about, you know, how you use the bag. You want to keep the bag upright, and and you you know um, start shedding a layer. You know, when you you know don't don't wait until too long. If you sh- sleep in a sweat for too too long, and then you shed a layer, you know, you, your sweats can kind of chill back on you and stuff. So. You got to be mindful of a, a bunch of factors when it, when you're when you're close to uh, when you're close to thirty. I think you know when you're close to the freezing point, yeah. uh, things change a bit. Okay, so you you've mentioned this this pad combination, this sleeping bag pad combination. Elaborate a little bit more on that. Like, is, is there a is there a perfect pad or for your for your guys' sleeping bags, or do you recommend a specific pad for for your guys' sleeping bags? Yeah, we don't endorse a specific brand or anything, but I mean, I've used, for instance, I, I've used a, a, one of my one of the pads that I use a fair amount is the women's the women's uh, Pro Light Three from from uh, Thermarest, and and it's because it's uh, the way that it's constructed. It the men's Pro Light Three is die cut vertically through the pad, so if you're a thin guy and you got you know bony hips or whatever, you'll kind of you can. Uh, get a cold spot right where your hips are, are, are at because they're vertically cut through the pad, entirely through the pad, whereas the women's ProLite 3 is horizontally cut through the pad. So they bore out holes across the width of the pad. And so the R value is a little higher. I mean, it's made in some different colors, like a pink or salmon color, whatever you want to call it or whatever. But um, but I just I, – so there's certain um, things that about pad designs that you got to kind of pay attention to um, and mostly it has to do with the amount of, uh, insulation that's in there, the type of insulation, whether it's die cut, you know, um, the, the old, uh, closed cell foam pads are, those still offer a great amount of insulation. They're not as comfortable, but I still use those on, on, a, on a lot of trips and on winter trips, I might use one of those and then one kind of a thermarest type pad or, or a self-inflating pad. But I usually try, I like, prefer the ones that have insulation in them. And I tend to recommend the ones that have some insulation in them and, and um, not the entirely air pads, even though some of those can, can have, you know, can boast high R values. They're mostly with, you know, just motionless mannequins. And so if you get a person rolling around there and swishing the air back and forth and they blew it up, for instance, um, it can have quite a different uh, performance uh, 
you know, experience in the field, I think, than, than the, you know, they're just looking at the R values only on pads. And, and you got to look at more than that, more than that, I think. There's a lot more pad choices these days, and it does impact, you know, you do need a good pad, and you have to have some insulation, I think, when you're when you're talking, using it with a down bag, you know, versus a synthetic. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that that's actually might be i I know uh when i went on my first backcountry hunt with uh i had a a foam pad a a rolled up foam pad you're right it Mm -hmm. wasn't as comfortable and i i feel like i had i know i had the same sleeping bag back then and i didn't get i didn't get as cold as this one and on this last hunt i had a, a full air pad and some of the things that you said, like blowing it up and, uh, it was a hundred percent air. There was a little insulation on the top part of it, but there was mm-hmm. no, there was no die cuts in it or anything like that. It was just kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. so I think that baffle chambers, what, which air pad was it? Oh man. Or if you don't want to say that's okay. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, but yeah, but, um, the air pads, I mean, they, they do, you know, they'll, they'll get some of their warmth comes from the fact that they're using a reflective type fabric on it. And that'll kind of bounce heat back on the mannequin during the test. So I think it gives kind of a false reading, um, you know, in the field. I don't, I don't think that they're quite as warm, you know, if you're laying on a patch of snow and, um, you know, you're moving around quite a bit, I just don't think that they're quite as warm as, as, um, you know, so I always go back to the tried and true, just, you know, uh, closed cell foam, you know, the insulite kind of blue foam pads. And those are lighter than any of the uh, other pads. So, you know, if you if, if you're on a winter trip, it, it, I think it makes sense to use one of those foam pads and then and then a, and then some other type of pad. At least then you have some insulation for sure. You know, and those yeah. are light pads. You can and they're bulky a little bit, too. But I just uh, roll mine on the inside of my pack and then I stuff everything inside of that so that they the wall walls of my pack are clean. You know, they're not all lumpy and stuff. And then and then uh, I just pull it out at night. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I like that. All right. So um, now we're getting into some colder temperatures, definitely below freezing, um, maybe not any type of Arctic type of hunt, but, you know, below freezing, maybe from zero or 15 to, you know, 25 degrees. What ba- what bags of yours would you recommend? So um, as you get to 15 degrees and below freezing, a, a few degrees below freezing, I'd say go with something like a antelope microfiber or a Kodiak. Uh, those are both kind of the same bag. We used to rate them both at zero, but we backed the antelope off by five degrees um, just because we didn't want people considering it as a winter bag, a full-blown winter bag. But I've used it at, like, that's that's the bag that I used at 40 below a couple times. And, uh, you know... I was fine. Uh, I wasn't dressed, you know, like the Michelin man. I didn't have too many layers <laughs> on, but but, uh, but I did have uh, two pads, and um, and I was fine. And on on one trip, uh, actually, with that bag, this was a, one of the trips was in uh, the Sawtooth, and it got just extremely cold. It doesn't usually get that cold in the Sawtooth. And then the other trip was in Yellowstone, uh, near Yellowstone, or or in Yellowstone. Um, and they, it was just extremely cold. That was, you know, uh, in, inside the tent, it was just at least 40 below. It was crazy. So wow. we, at the time we had a, we had a, a, low, a thermometer that measured the low, uh, the low temp at night. And it was, uh, I think it was 46 or something like that below inside the tent one night. And that was the coldest, but 
what what were you guys doing out there at at that temperature? Uh, well, we just wanted to uh, cruise around in the wintertime in, in Yellowstone. So we went out there um, and got dropped off by the snow coach, you know, where, where all these, uh, there's all these uh, snowmobilers out there. And so we, we wanted to ski around Shoshone Lake and, and check out the, the geysers and stuff in the wintertime and check out the bisons and stuff. And, um, and, and so we, we just skied across the lake and, and just went in back in there we wanted to be in yellowstone when there's nobody else there and there was nobody else there uh, except when you get close to the old faithful lodge you know uh, after a couple of weeks of skiing around in the geysers and stuff we uh, came back to the lodge and uh, and unfortunately we were going to go out for another couple of weeks but our food had all been contaminated with fuel because the fuel got tipped on its side and oh man inside the boxes with our food so we had a couple of weeks worth of food that was all just like we sat there and ate, ate through a bunch of it, and we just, you know, we're burping up gas and stuff. It was brutal. <laughs> so we had to pitch it all and go shopping, and we ended up going. Uh, uh, we went. Uh, we did some climbing, I think, up 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 in Idaho. After that, we drove around. We were just on road trips, and uh, yeah. Oh, and that's crazy. Time. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. All right. So let's see here. Now, what about temperatures even lower than that? We're talking, talk to us about some of the bags that are the lowest, that, that 40 degrees Arctic type, you know, conditions. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've, um, I've used the, 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 uh, bags like the Lynx, um, the former bag before that was called the Dakota, which was a little bit narrower, but basically the, the Lynx is, uh, because I sleep hot, I think that's about the warmest bag that I would ever want to use. I've, I've climbed Denali and I used the, the Lynx and even that I thought I could have gotten by with maybe even not as warm a bag. Uh, but most people that are, that are, that are going to experience, you know, uh, 20 below 30 below, um, those kinds of temperatures, uh, they want, you know, they want a bag that's that's going to be you know completely insulated and and the construction is just way different. These are the bags that take us about eight and a half hours to make. Bags like the Puma or the uh, uh, Bison, um, where there's two draft tubes and the two draft tubes are offset so that they nest side by side when you're in the bag, so that you're not going to get a cold spot. Um, usually the inside uh, sh- uh, has some kind of a reinforcement in the foot section so that you can bring boot liners in there. So there's a heavier uh, fabric inside the foot on the in the in the inside you know at the bottom and um usually double draft tubes and some kind of a block configuration there used to be side block uh, is used to be the standard way to produce colder weather bags um and we still make a bag couple bags uh, the bristle cone and the cypress which are semi-rectangulars we make those with a single side block but most of our you know warmest bags like the puma and, and the bison are done with a V-block construction. So it's kind of like a there's a pie-shaped chamber on each side of, you know, a slice of pie uh, shaped on each side of the bag. And um, and it just gives you a lot of loft all the way around your body. Um, and you want, you want, you know, good insulation all the way around your body. Now, with those bags, it's more important because you can't adjust it down at all uh, to keep the bag upright when you're, you know, sleeping, you know, in uh, – you know, temperatures that are that cold. Um, and, but the construction allows you to go very, very cold. I think that our bags even, you know, could be taken much colder than that. I think our bison could be taken to 60 below easily. Um, and, and our Puma to 40 below very easily. I think our Lynx is underrated also at 15 below or 
I think it's 10 or 15 below. We should, it should be 20 below, I think, at least. Well, I'll tell you right now that um, I think a muskox or I'm, I'm trying to think of a crazy hunt where a, a bag that warm would even be necessary. And I can't, I, number one, I can't think of it. It's probably some uh, Arctic hunt for mu- muskox or, oh man, some sh- sheep that lives way, way, way high in the, in the mountains. But those aren't anything that I don't think I'm ever going to go on. So uh, I don't think yeah, I'll... I mean, it- if you get those super warm bags, they give you the feeling uh, kind of like, you know, bring it on mother nature. You want, yeah, you want, you want to try want it. Her to hit you with, want her to hit you with the, her best shot kind of thing. And it makes you feel a little bit invincible, but, uh, but you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there are some things that people, you know, have to kind of watch out for at those cold temperatures. I mean, it's basically when you get super, super cold, um, you know, so cold that you're, you know, uh, runny nose is freezing before the, before it hits your lip. You know what I mean? Right. And when you take a super deep breath, it'll hurt, you know, yeah. because uh, it's just so such cold air, you know, going in your lungs. So uh, at those temperatures, you want to make sure that you keep the bag upright for sure. And um, I put little beads of silicone at the edge of my pads just to keep it and keep me in place on the, on the bag. It helps me from the bag from rotating around too. So if I slide to my side, the bag doesn't slide with me because there's little grips of, you know, little, little grippy dots along each edge of my pad and I do it on both sides of my pad that way like if I'm ever in a slight angle in the tent you know I don't end up uh, sliding into somebody at midnight or whatever you know yeah yeah that makes uh, that's a good point all right so the last question I have for you here is you know for anybody who is listening to this episode and they're looking for a sleeping bag or I know you guys offer um like jackets and vests and insulation layers like that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, you guys offer sleeping pads, pads too, or no? We don't offer sleeping pads. I mean, that's a totally different. So we're just a down factory basically. Okay. Uh, we just have a bunch of, bunch of Polish down in the back and, and we have a bunch of sewing machines and we're just making insulated products mostly. Um, everything's made here. The, the garments are made here too. Um, but um Yeah. Yeah, we're so, just we're doing everything here, and we're mostly an insulated factory, so we're not we're not doing pad pad uh, instruction is is uh, something different, completely different kind of operation. Yeah, gotcha. So for for the guy or gal who's looking for a sleeping bag, whether um, it's for camping or whether it's for backcountry hunting, why should they consider Western mountaineering? Well, I think that um, they definitely will have a, a product that lasts a long time. I mean, uh, I'd want them to think through and get the the right bag for them, whatever, you know, it's going to be most useful for the, uh, the broadest range of trips that they're likely to take. But I think that the, they would definitely be happy with the bag that they got from us. We're very careful about the fabrics we choose, the down that we choose, and the way that we construct them. I mean, there's nothing that, that we do that I'm not proud of. You know, there's no little corners that we cut that I'm, uh, we, you know, there's nothing like that, that no, um, in fact, uh, over the years that I worked here, we've added steps to the, to the manufacturing process rather than cut them out. Um, so when we notice anything that looks like it's a uh, uh, potential, uh, there could potentially be room for improvement, like, uh, the single stitching of the draft flap on the inside, well, we were noticing some down migrating out that because, and so we started double stitching all those. Um, so over the years, we've, if anything, added steps here and there just to make sh- the product more, um, you know, have a longer lifespan. 
and there's very few companies I think that do that nowadays. It seems like everybody everybody's making things that that they expect to fail just right after the 90 day warranty or whatever. I mean, I had a light bulb in my garage that lasted 20 years and then I replaced it and the next one went out in like a month, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, even just basic stuff like that, well, water heaters, it's like everything uh, is designed to fail after a couple of years. And so it's, um, I think that people should feel comfortable and confident buying our stuff, uh, knowing that they're going to get something that's, that's made with the intent of having it last a long time rather than, um, just, uh, just outliving the, uh, warranty, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Hey Gary, man, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast today and, and chat with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. I hope I answered your questions. Okay. Yeah. I really appreciate Gary for hopping on, uh, in this crazy time and, uh, talking about Western Mountaineering, their product line, the company history, all that good stuff. And, um, like I said in the intro, man, I think a, I think a sleeping bag kind of goes under the radar when we're talking about a, a Western or, or a backpacking, a true backpacking hunt out in the middle of nowhere, right? Something that you definitely want to have the right piece of gear for. If you guys are liking what you hear on the Hunting Gear Podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe, or you can follow us, follow along on the, the Sportsman's Nation uh, RSS feeds as well. The Sportsman's Nation podcast were, were there along with all of the other uh, hunting content as well. And man, if you guys have any ideas that you want to run by us or you want to talk about a specific category or a specific product or a specific company, go ahead and send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram. That's Nine Finger Chronicles. Other than that, be safe, wash your hands. Enjoy this spring. Get outside, get some fresh air, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.